The scripture reading this morning is from Daniel. We're starting a new series on the book of Daniel. This morning we're going to read the first chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. So if you can follow along with me, this is a reading of God's word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenus, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that they ate and of the wine that he drank. They were educated to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. The chiefs of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to, not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chiefs of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And Daniel said to the steward, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listened to them in that manner and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. These four youths God gave learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chiefs of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke with them. And among all of them, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Amen. This is a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this morning that we are able to worship. And we know that worship, it is, it is a great joy. It renews our spirit because we're standing before you. So now I pray as I speak these words, I pray that you give, up, give me wisdom, that I would be able to speak only what is true. I pray it would speak truth to people, edify people. I pray that you'd lead us through these words to glorify you in everything we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're starting on a new series of sermons on the book of Daniel. And Daniel is a, it's a powerful book to study right now because it answers 
a lot of the questions that we have today, and it mirrors our time right now. Daniel was written in the 6th century before Christ, and it was written in a real tumultuous period in Israel's history. Not only were God's people morally going astray from him, politically there was all kinds of turmoil. To the east of Israel, there was a growing superpower, Babylon, that was rising right around them. It would threaten them. Babylon would eventually take control of Israel. They would deport some of its best and brightest people. Eventually, all of the southern kingdom would be in exile uh, in Babylon. And during this crisis, people had all kinds of questions. They asked God what he was doing. Why was he stopping Babylon? Why did he lead so many of them into this exile? What was God doing during that time? Uh, Daniel is a relevant book for for us right now because many of us feel like we might be in exile. Some of us feel very cut off from other people, from our jobs, and we feel very alone. We feel very isolated. Many of us are experiencing a lot of pain in our life, and we wonder, what is God up to? What is he doing through this time? And we have questions for God. How do we navigate these times? And Daniel is an excellent book because it gives us a model of someone, uh, his name is Daniel, who through the exile, through these difficult times, he is a model of faith that triumphs over fear. Daniel, in these difficult times, his faith rises and God uses him in the midst of the exile. Today, as we start this series, we're going to look at this idea of the king. Uh, Today, we want to start by looking at the main theme of the book of Daniel. The main theme of the book of Daniel is God is the true king. And the secret to Daniel's life is that he understands this about God. That's why he lives fearlessly. So today, as we look at this main theme of this book, we're going to look at this idea of the king, and we're going to look at three parts of it. We're going to look at, first, who the true king is. Secondly, how we are to live before the king. And third, we're going to talk about the coming king. So this is the first point first, is the true king. Today we're looking at the book of Daniel. And as I said before, it was written in the 6th century. And the very first verses of Daniel gives us the backdrop of what is happening at that time. Daniel opens by talking about two kings who are at odds with each other. And the context of Daniel is this idea of who is a true king. Who has the power? Who has the control? The first king that we see is the king of Judah. Jehoiakim is the king of Judah. Judah was part of the southern kingdom. At this time, God's people, the kingdom was broken in half. The southern kingdom, the king was Jehoiakim. And he is a king, but he is not in control. As Daniel opens, Jehoiakim is under serious threat. The growing Babylonian empire is breathing down his neck. Neck, they're threatening him. They have superior military technology and strength. And as Daniel opens in verse 1, it says this, In the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. As Daniel opens, Jehoiakim is run over. Babylon's like a bulldozer that runs over Jehoiakim. He's powerless 
in the face of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. He is overwhelmed. Nebuchadnezzar eventually would depose the king, set up a puppet king. He would take the best and brightest from the southern kingdom. Daniel's one of them. And they would be deported. They would be deported. And included in this group was Daniel. The strategy for Babylon before they truly conquered, overtook uh, the southern kingdom was to take the best and brightest from Judah. They would create a brain drain. They would take the best and brightest, deport them to Babylon, brainwash them, give them Babylonian names and education. And this would be an act of cultural warfare. They were going to make these Israelite men Babylonian. They were going to be ambassadors for Babylon. They were going to display the glory of Babylon. It was a brilliant strategy for Babylon, but it was terrible tragedy for God's people. It seemed that Nebuchadnezzar's plan was foolproof. He had all the cards. He had the military strength. He had possession of the best and brightest from God's people. So you would think that this is really about the king Nebuchadnezzar. But hidden in all this is the final king, the true king. And we see this true king working in verse 2. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. It says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't just a military strategy of, of might. But we see behind everything is God's hand. That God is the power behind all of these powers. That the ultimate power is God. In the Old Testament, whenever you see the word Lord, there are two Hebrew words behind that word Lord. Sometimes when you see the word Lord, it's a reference. The Hebrew word is Yahweh. That's the proper, specific name of God. When you see that translated Lord, it's all caps Lord. But there's another Hebrew word for Lord. It's Adonai. And when you see that word translated, it's capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And that word Adonai means the king. It means the one with all power and dominion. And the word here used in Daniel 1-2 is that word Adonai. And the idea there is behind King Nebuchadnezzar, behind King Jehoiakim, is the ultimate king of the universe. The king of kings is ultimately the one who is ordaining and causing all these things to happen. In this chapter, a key to this chapter is this repeated phrase. It's used three times in verse 2. And it's the phrase, and God gave. In verse 2 it says, God, and God gave Jehoiakim into his hand. In verse 9, it says, God gave Daniel favor. In verse 17, God gave Daniel and his friends learning and skill. Every step of the way, in every action, what we see is that God, the Lord, the King, He's behind everything that happens. The key lesson in the entire book of Daniel, if you want to sum up what the key lesson is, it says, in spite of present appearances, God is in control. That's the whole key to Daniel. In spite of 
present appearances, God is in control. Right now, it might seem like things are out of control. Right now, it might things seem like there's no plan. You might feel very overwhelmed by life. You might feel very cut off. You're worried about your job, your kids, your health, your family. And you wonder what is happening. And in all of these things, the word of God to us this morning is that behind all these things, God is in control. That God is the king above all kings. That God has foreordained everything that comes to pass, even the, the difficult things, even the tragedies in life. You know, I was listening to interviews of these Chinese Christian pastors. And if you don't know right now, right now it's an unprecedented time of persecution uh, for churches, pastors, Christians in China. And they were interviewing all of these pastors who are, some of them are being arrested and detained, taken away from their families, given no explanation of where they are, when they will come back. Churches are being closed down. Uh, Christians are, are scattered. And amidst of all these things, some of these uh, Chinese pastors were testifying. One Chinese pastor said that his faith, during this time, his faith went from theory to reality. Another Chinese pastor was saying that this, during this time, God was purifying the church. Now they are all calling on God in prayer. They're leaning on him. They are being purified through this time of persecution. These pastors say that this time of difficulty is not a sign of God's disfavor, but a sign of God's deep love for them. You see, in the governments, the governments cracking down on them, the hand of God, God's at work. He is at work even in these difficult times. If you understand that God is the king, that God is Despite appearances, God is in control. It gives us a lot of freedom. It gives us peace. It helps us to live with confidence. That's why Daniel had this swag about him. Daniel had this confidence about him. He had this unmistakable, unshakable faith. And that faith came from knowing that God is his king. That God is ultimately the one in control. And that's the second point. When you know that God is the king, the second thing is this. We can live before that king. We can live confidently. Uh, when, as chapter one unfolds, Daniel, we see the key characters in the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends, they are named. His friends are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were the core four. They're going to enter into this Babylonian training center. And what we see is that the first thing that they do is that they change their names. You know, in ancient cultures, your name was your past, your present, and your future. Your name represented who, where you came from, who you were, and where you were going. That's why the Babylonians, the first thing that they do is they change these four men's name. They give them Babylonian names. They were probably named after the Babylonian gods. And they're training them. Uh, after they're renamed, they're trained for three years. It was a dangerous thing to stand before the king because only the best and brightest, only those competent to stand could come before the king. And if the king found you wanting, he would execute you. 
That's why these people in, responsible for Daniel are afraid. They're afraid of disappointing King Nebuchadnezzar. So they train. These four men are trained. It says in verse 5, we get a glimpse of their training. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of the time, they were to stand before their king. Daniel's training was rigorous. He was given a Babylonian Ivy League education. The best and brightest scholars from all the region educated them, gave them wisdom. They were also given luxuries that few other people had. One of those luxuries was to eat the king's food. This was the king, the food the king himself ate from his table. This would have been luxurious food. You would think this is a great perk that Daniel would love. Uh, we're talking about uh, food that's like filet mignon, truffles, uh, the finest wine were available to Daniel and his friends. You'd think that Daniel would take advantage of it, but he doesn't. This is what he says in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. It's interesting because Daniel was willing to take a Babylonian name. He was willing to take a Babylonian education, but he was not willing to take the Babylonian food. You know, why was that? There are different theories for that. Probably the most common theory for why he didn't want to eat from the food was that he didn't want to he didn't want to bypass or um, he didn't want to disobey any of the Old Testament dietary laws. There were many dietary laws. But the problem with that is that verse 8, Daniel also abstains from wine. And wine was never prohibited. It's never prohibited in the Old Testament. And so it's probably unlikely that it's because Daniel simply needs to eat kosher food that he abstains from it. Daniel's refusal to eat from the king's food was probably more principled than that. It wasn't a legalistic rule. It wasn't that he was violating the Old Testament. But Daniel had some principles for why he would not eat. One of the principles was that Daniel wanted to remember who he was and where he came from. You know, food is really uh, intrinsic to who we are. We often, uh, we hear that phrase, you are what you eat. Often immigrant uh, cultures, when you leave your homeland, when you immigrate to a different place, you leave a lot of things behind, but you usually always bring your, your cuisine. You always bring the food traditions with you. Uh, when I was growing up, my mother, she only cooked Korean food. My mother immigrated to America. She actually changed her name. She took on an American name. She changed the way she dressed. Uh, she learned a whole new language, but she did not, she would not change what we ate for dinner. That's gonna stay constant. My mom only cooked Korean food. It was difficult for me because of that. My mom went off up and packed me Korean food for lunch. And sometimes it, it would not go over very well with everyone else. One time she made, uh, she packed me kimchi for lunch. And man, I, I never heard the end of it that whole school year. I was known for having that in my lunch. And I was like, mom, could you just make me a ham sandwich? Can you just give me a Capri Sun? 
I don't need this Korean food. I don't need to be uh, made fun of because of that. But for my mother, the food was part of who she was, about her culture. And food is very intrinsic to who we are and how we identify. For Daniel, the food was this idea that he didn't want to lose. He didn't want to forget who he was, where he had come from. Food was very connected to him. But more than that, the second principle, which was even deeper than that, is Daniel wanted to remember not only where he came from, but he wanted to testify to the idea that God was his strength, that God was the fuel and the source and the strength of his life. If Daniel simply took on the Babylonian education, ate all the Babylonian food, and came out wise and strong, Everyone would attribute that to his education, to the food that he was eating, to his surrounding culture. But Daniel, Daniel principally didn't want to do that. Daniel wanted to eat only vegetables. And he, only, he wanted to testify and be strong and be wise and to come out. And he knew when he did that, that it, the source of his strength was God himself. Daniel wanted to testify to the power of God in his life. He wanted to live separately and distinctly. And the food was a way he could do that. The food was a way, and it was also super practical. Because three times a day, Daniel would be living distinctly. Three times a day, while everyone else was feasting on the king's food, Daniel would be eating separately and testifying through that that who he was and the source of his strength was very distinct from the surrounding culture. It was a way for him to testify. It was a way for him to remind himself of who he was. And think about the applications for us now. Uh, we live just like Daniel did in a very secular culture. I mean, we could we dress the same. We go to the same schools for the most part as other people. But for us, too, there has to be something that makes us distinct. There has to be a way that Christians are to live distinct, that they are, we are not to live like everybody else. It might not be in our clothing, but it could be how we, what we click on, how we spend our money. Uh, sexual ethics. There, there are ways that Christians are to live distinct. There are endless applications for that. In the text box uh, today, uh, one question I want you to, to, to think about and to write out is, what are areas that, that Christians can be countercultural today? Only spend a little bit of time. Just write out in a comment in the chat box, what are some ways you think Christians can live distinctly from non-Christians? What are some ideas? And there's a myriad of applications. Daniel, by principle, uh, didn't want to eat from the king's table. That was a way for him that he was going to be distinct. He was going to testify that what fueled him was God. God was his strength. It was a testimony to his faithfulness. But there was a problem with that. Uh, the ruler, the uh, governor in charge of his education was, he didn't like what he was hearing. He was, Daniel, how can you grow strong having a vegan diet? I'm not having, I'm not going to have you come before the king because it's going to be on me. 
So Daniel has a plan. He says to the chief, well, give me 10 days. Let me have this vegan di- diet for 10 days and let's see how it com- how it goes. So this uh, Daniel's teacher agrees and after 10 days, Daniel is looking amazing. His skin looks amazing. He's gained uh, weight, gained muscle. Looks like he could teach a CrossFit class. He's chiseled. He's looking good. And he wins everyone over. They, they give him his diet, Daniel and his friends. And ultimately, Daniel, the final test is Daniel comes before the king. King himself examines Daniel and all of his friends. And again, it was a, uh, it was a treacherous thing to be in front of the king. But what does King Nebuchadnezzar find? It says this in verse 20. In every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. Daniel and his friends, they graduate summa cum laude. They pass with flying colors. King Nebuchadnezzar says, you're ten times better than any of my experts, any of my most accomplished men. Daniel stands as a witness. Daniel is a model of faithfulness in the exile. You know, Daniel could have phoned it in. Uh, Daniel could have just gotten by during this time. Daniel could have just compromised completely and just sold out to the Babylonian Empire. But Daniel doesn't do that. Uh, He is faithful and he bears testimony to God. And in the midst of the exiles, Daniel's faith and his confidence grows. Daniel is a a testimony that even in the midst of darkness, exile, defeat, that our faith can continue to grow. We can actually flourish in times of exile. When you look at church history, bleak times were always opportunities for God's people to demonstrate their faith. Talked about times of the great plagues. Talked about that earlier in another sermon series. But even times of imprisonment, John Bunyan famously wrote one of the, the greatest uh, books of all, of, of Christian books of all time, Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote that while he was in prison for having a church service. Martin Luther King Jr. famously wrote a letter from Birmingham jail while he was in prison. And, and we talked about the witness of the Chinese church now that in the midst of persecution, their faith is flourishing. The church is growing in numbers, in faith, in confidence. And I want you to think about this, that this is an opportunity in the midst of the shutdown and a lot of darkness, not for your faith to shrink, not just to hold on, but this is a season for our faith to grow. I want to, you to think about this season as a season of planting seeds so that when it's all over, you, you'll have a garden. You know, what are some habits right now that you can start doing? Uh, one of the things that is popular, especially now, is that people are spending this time in the lockdown doing things like having daily office. Uh, that's a specific prayer time in the morning, in the noon, and the evening of focusing and centering yourself on God. What are ways that during this time your faith can flourish, that you can grow in your faith. This is an opportunity to give glory to God. Well, here's the final thing. Daniel, the whole message of Daniel is about uh, the king, 
the true king, not Nebuchadnezzar, but it's also a message about the coming king, the king that is yet to come. The story of Daniel starts and ends with this idea of the king. In Daniel 1.21, the very last verse of the first chapter is a powerful, beautiful verse which foreshadows what everything else to come. This is what it says in Daniel 1.21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a remarkable sentence until you learn who King Cyrus was. King Cyrus was a Persian king, and he foreshadows what is to come in the rest of Daniel and what's going to happen through the exile. Uh, what happens through the exile is that the power of Babylon actually peaks, and then the empire of Babylon begins to crumble. In its place, Persia eclipses Babylon. They actually take over, and eventually King Cyrus, the Persian king, gets all the exile and has them return home. He actually helps them rebuild the temple, which was destroyed. King Cyrus would liberate God's people. And right at the very beginning of the story of Daniel, the author of Daniel wants us to know that Daniel gets through King Nebuchadnezzar. He gets through the entire period of the exile, and Daniel lives to see King Cyrus who brings all of God's people home. Daniel, we want, uh, we hear right from the outset, outlast everyone. He outlasts every king, every empire, every power, every period of exile. Daniel um, outlasts them all. He outlasts all the kings. And Daniel was meant to be an encouragement for people who were in ex exile. The encouragement was this, you're going to get through the exile. Uh, your God is a true king, and he's going to get you through all these tumultuous times, all these feelings of loneliness. God's word for you this morning is you're going to get through this uh, lockdown. You're going to get, we're going to get through this coronavirus. You're going to, we're going to see the other side of this season. Right now is not forever. Ultimately, the story of Daniel is about a coming king who will conquer all things. All throughout the Bible, the story of God is that God always intervenes in history to redeem, to rescue, to overcome. Ultimately, the story of Daniel is about the greater king, Jesus. Daniel is a story about a man who was taken from his homeland, who lives in exile, but through his wisdom, through his confidence in God, he conquers and outlasts and overcomes everyone. And it's a foreshadowing of King Jesus. King Jesus would leave his heavenly home. He would be an exile here on earth. And through his wisdom and his righteousness, he would conquer and overcome our greatest enemies, which are sin and death. We talked about uh, this idea of God gave, God gave, God gave Nebuchadnezzar. But ultimately, the story of the gospel is that in John three sixteen it says, God gave his one and only son, Jesus. God gave Jesus for us. He was sacrificed for us so that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. King Jesus is our true liberator. He's our savior. 
He is the one that we put our hope in. We talked about Daniel being for the Old Testament people a source of hope and despair. Well, Jesus all the more is our anchor. He is our guarantee of the hope to come. We talked about how terrifying it is to stand before a king. He can take your life away. You have to be on it, perfect. And one day do you know that you will ultimately stand before the king to give testimony about what you did. And you need to be perfect. You need to be righteous to live. But the good news of the gospel is that if you have faith in Jesus, he gives you all of his righteousness. He takes all of your unrighteousness. And when you stand before the king on that final day, you'll be clothed in Jesus's perfect righteousness. And God, the king, the judge will smile upon you. He's not angry with you. You don't have to be fearful of him. He smiles on you. So this morning, as we conclude, some encouragement. First, God will always be faithful to you. Let us be faithful to him no matter what happens. God's going to be faithful. He's our king. Let, let us be faithful to him no matter what. During this time of lockdown, think of your faith not just surviving, but thriving. Plant seeds. Plant seeds that will grow into a garden. Ultimately, don't ever forget who your, what your name really is. Remember that Daniel's name, uh, they tried to rename him, but Daniel's always called Daniel uh, all throughout this book. And Daniel, he never forgot who he was. Throughout this whole exile, he understood who he was. And my encouragement to you as we close this, this uh, morning is don't forget who you are. Don't forget that your name is written in the book of life. Don't forget that you are a child of the king. God's eye is always upon you. Live with confidence. Live to serve your king in all things. Daniel wanted to serve his true king in all things. And would you live your life remembering who you are? Would you serve your king? Would you stay faithful to him? Please join me in prayer. Father, I give you thanks that you are a true king in the midst of all of these things. God, you are faithful. Help us like Daniel to be faithful to you, to live as servants before your presence. Help us, God, to be people of integrity. God, help us in all things to live for your glory, that we would decrease, but you would increase. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.